trial. You mean kangaroo court? I've heard about Draymond Justice. Captain, you're becoming emotional. Of course I am. Bones harming other beings. You know better, Spark. I know better, not bones. Bridge to all decks. It is time for a brand new episode of Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. I'm Scott Nance. And I'm Steve Morris. And after giving you an award for making such a great podcast, Scott, I think I've got to put you under arrest. Sorry about oh. that. Well, you know what? I'm doing the best I can. I think there's a misunderstanding here, and we are going to get to the bottom of this on our deep dive of the animated series episode, Albatross. We have, including this episode from the animated series, just three episodes left to go, and we will be done with our deep dive of the animated series. Pretty safe to say that uh, while tons of of Star Trek podcasts have done their deep dives of the original series. I don't know if anyone has really done the animated series quite in this way. And I'm really proud that we have done this uh, because this is the 50th anniversary of the animated series, which premiered on September 8th, 1973, seven years to the day when the original series premiered. But enough about that. Steve Morris, what did you think of Albatross? Mixed, definitely mixed. It's it's funny. There, there's some good elements to it that I liked, and then there's some character stuff that doesn't really make a lot of doesn't feel right for the characters. And then there's just some weird stuff in there too that doesn't make sense. So I'm kind of all mixed about it. I, I'm mixed as well, but I have to say, after covering the Practical Joker on our previous episode of Enterprise Incidents, I, I think I was looking for reasons to like this episode, like Albatross. And I found quite a few reasons to like it. Yeah. I found uh, uh, one big reason to scratch my head and went, what was that? And uh, I agree with you. It's For me, it's mixed positive because I have been grading uh, this entire series on a curve, uh, uh, even though I, when I don't really need to when the episodes are actually really good. But Albatross, the production number for Albatross was 22019, making it the 19th episode of the animated series to go into production it aired on september 28 1974 making it the 99th the 99th episode of star trek to be broadcast was written by dario finelli do you know who dario finelli is steve i do not I do not. Me neither. <laughs> neither, <laughs> neither did a number of websites I tried to I went to to try and figure out who Dario Finelli is. Uh, this is Dario Finelli's only known credit next to the 1970 film Scorpio 70. Ever see that, Steve? It's sitting, I have it in 4K Blu-ray right over here. It's one of my no, I don't know that the movie. <laughs> me neither, me neither, but those are Dario Finelli's only two credits and i gotta say uh for you know just one episode of the animated series one episode of star trek and nothing else really except this obscure film uh dari did a pretty good job in 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 most cases with this episode the first draft was submitted on june 19 1974 revised on june 27 1974 uh overall uh, I like the episode, and this is definitely going to be an interesting deep dive because there there is certainly one element of Albatross that that made me think of one particular episode of the original series, and hmm. we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> um, so some of the things going on in the world at the time. Uh, this aired on September twenty eighth, nineteen seventy four. 
Scott, you are a well-known and well-respected expert on release dates for the Beatles. Now, this is not a Beatles release date, but on September 23rd, a Beatle did release a hit single. Do you know what it was? Uh, okay, so this is 1974. Now, while 1973 was an outstanding year, Steve Morris, for the four ex-Beatles, you know, John Lennon had Mind Games, Ringo had his Ringo album, George Harrison had Living in the Material War- World, and Paul McCartney and Wings had not one but two LPs, long players, released that year. One of them was Red Rose Speedway, and the other ending the year uh, in December of 73 is what I think is Paul's very, very finest album, Band on the Run. But if you're asking me what single by a former Beatle was released around this date, I got to say I'm predicting, and I'm just using dates here, but let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go down to Junior's Farm. I want to lay low. Incorrect, Scott, and, and, and I and I do, but but the the answering the question I didn't ask the entire history of the Beatles, nineteen seventy three, and all their releases was very impressive. But it is, in fact, whatever gets you through the night. Ah, oh, well, that you know what that was my second guess because whatever gets you through the night was John Lennon's only number one single to be released during his lifetime, and. That song was so crucial because, of course, Elton John plays on the album. And Elton John made a bet with John Lennon and said, if this song goes to number one, you have to join me on stage at a live concert. The song did, in fact, go to number one. And John Lennon joined Elton John at one of his concerts where they performed Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, which both the Beatles and Elton John recorded. Uh, This song, Whatever Gets You Through the Night, And I saw her standing there, which John Lennon introduced as being written by a, quote, old fiancé of mine named Paul. (laughs) So, and again, you did not actually answer the question correctly, but man, talk about a wealth of information. You have fully redeemed yourself. Well done. There's two things, Steve. It's it's, life comes down to two things for me, Star Trek and the Beatles, and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) You got a few other ones. You got a, you got a, you got a strong list in there. Thank Um, you. (laughs) On September 25th, it's the first time science scientists officially reported that freon gas from aerosol sprays was destroying the ozone layer. And I just want to point out that it's from then, it's 13 years later that we passed the Montreal Protocol, which outlaws this worldwide, and we solved the problem, and it worked. And it just is a sign of, actually, we can listen to science, and we can take action, and we can save our planet. Just wanted to point that out. Very good Um, pointing that out. Yes, it is possible when we all put our heads together. uh, On the 28th, Nolan Ryan pitched his third no-hitter, which is impressive, and... I looked up because of the news sources I'm looking at. What is the was the number one song uh, on September 28th? And I saw the name and I saw the singer and I went, I don't know what this is. And then I went and I listened to it and I'm listening to it, just assuming like, oh, I probably just don't recognize the title. Or I don't recognize the artist's name, but I'm sure I'll hear it's a number one song from when I was alive. I'm sure I'll start li- listen to it. Still don't know what it is. Uh, would you like me to tell you the number one song on September 28th, 19, uh, 1974? Because obviously I will not guess it right. <laughs> it is Rock Me Gently by Andy Kim. Never heard of Andy Kim. Never heard of Rock Me Gently. No, I mean, it was just so strange that it's like, no, I literally have never heard of this at all. 
Um, but it, like not on like Yacht Rock on uh, Sirius XM. <laughs> well, or even just like here's a one hit wonder. There's lists of those songs that you hear and which obviously this must be. But yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it was. <laughs> I, know, I never heard of it. <laughs> Shall we jump into the Albatross? Let's do it. Uh, would you like to tell us about the star date? Yes. Star date 5275.6. So we are back to my theory, placing this during the fifth year of the voyage of the Starship Enterprise because the first number is five, which means that if you place Albatross, if you slot it in to the adventures of the original series, that puts Albatross in between the Empath and the Mark of Gideon. Hmm. It's interesting that we go from something where there's torture and violence and and McCoy is going to sacrifice his life to something where they're trying to introduce a disease, a plague, if you will, to a society. And this is what happened right in between. And and uh, and now after McCoy sacrificed his life, certainly to save Spock uh, right. at the end of the empath, now you have Kirk and Spock doing everything to try to save him. Yep. I, it makes perfect sense. I think I think this I think this theory works. Um, <laughs> and again, we find out that we've just completed our mission, and what we hear is We of Dramia wish to thank you and the others of your Federation for your invaluable assistance, Captain Kirk. We hope through our medical assistance programs to develop and strengthen relations with star systems such as yours, Supreme Prefect. So we just did some kind of medical thing. Is that correct? That's what just happened? That's what just happened. It, 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 first of all, there's two things that, that first uh, hit me when, when this episode started. One is that we are seeing the Enterprise at the end of a mission. Like they, yep. they had this whole adventure. They had this whole thing where they, they used medical supplies uh, to, in the remote Dramian star system, which is the furthest uh, uh, star system out that they've been to. And uh, kind of like what they did in uh, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, where they had to decontaminate a planet. Mm. But in this case, uh, it was uh, uh, something very, very similar. So the, the, uh, thinking of a couple of things there. And we're saying goodbye and we're about to beam up. And then <laughs> right at the last minute, they say, I have here a warrant for the arrest and trial of one of your party, Captain. Warrant? Who? Hands him the warrant. Kirk reads it and says, You are hereby directed to surrender for trial by the people of Dramia, Dr. Leonard McCoy, medical officer, USS Enterprise. Well, that's a shock. <laughs> well, it's particularly a shock because like it, it just, and it's not a big point, but it's like, wait, the Enterprise came down, did something medical, obviously supervised by Dr. McCoy, being that he's the chief medical officer. And this is a guy who killed hundreds of people for his bad medical practice, and you let them do it and then only go to arrest him after? It seems like Excellent a very point. strange plan. That is um, definitely a strange plan and one that I definitely went uh, – initially went, wait, he just saved these people. Now they're they, – they didn't have a problem with him saving them, but now they do and they're going to arrest him now. I, I agree. That's a bit of a, a – a plot point that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, and to take it a little bit further, they argue a bit and the prefect or whatever says, hey, look, it's all, all the warrant's all in order. And we already cleared this with your Federation. So they called up the Federation to tell them they were going to arrest McCoy. The Federation didn't tell Kirk. Like, You're right. like this, it just doesn't this it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but what I what I actually thought the biggest thought I had was, hey, this actually felt like a classic Star Trek teaser. You know, yes, it does. Absolutely. It does. And it, it also feels like an episode that 
especially over the course of 50 minutes versus like 22, could have made a pretty decent live action episode because there is a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. Pacing is pretty good. And and maybe part of the problems that you and I have had with the, the plot points that we have uh, could have been sort of solved if they had more time to really work it through, especially if you have you know, a veteran like Dorothy Fontana uh, fixing things up as a story editor, but she was already gone by this point with the animated series. So that didn't happen. But I, I did feel throughout this episode that it would have kind of been decent if it, if it was done as live action. I think so with some rewriting. I think, well, I, what I think it is, is like the idea of the episode, McCoy is arrested for, he was inoculating a planet and, and then a whole bunch of people died and he's discovering that he might be responsible for killing hundreds of people. That's really dramatic. Um, I think the way that it's executed in this episode isn't as terribly dramatic. And really, if if I just gave you a, that as a pitch, uh, who would you say is the main character of the pitch I just gave you? Uh, well, I would say the main character in the pitch is Kirk and Spock. I would say the main character in the pitch is McCoy. Because he's the person who has the emotional story, you know, like that's really emotional. Like, oh, my God, I am a doctor and I might be responsible for all these deaths. Well, the reason the reason I'm going with Spock and McCoy here, especially or rather Kirk and Spock is because so, you know, McCoy is accused of of uh, uh, slaughtering, you know, uh, all these people because he, you know, all the people died on the planet. But it is really Kirk and Spock who are the ones who are driven to save him to to prove sure. his innocence? Absolutely, yeah. So, so just like Wolf in the Fold, you know, a lot of people look at Wolf in the Fold as a Scotty episode, but for most of that episode, Scotty doesn't do much except except say, "I I don't remember. I can't remember. I can't believe this is happening." It is it is Kirk who was driven to prove Scotty's innocence. Therefore, it's really Kirk's story. Wolf of the Fold is about Kirk, and I think that it, uh, Albatross is, is more about Kirk and Spock than it is about McCoy. I actually think Wolf of the Fold is a really good example of a better version of, of this idea. And part of it is that is that you have Scotty around. You know, um, Is that, by the way, the episode you were thinking of? Yeah, that is the one. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, 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 uh, what? Did you think that too? Nope, never occurred to me. But now that you say it, I totally get it. Yeah. Um, and I, by the, speaking of Scotty, by the way, I love that when he hears that McCoy's been arrested, he's ready to get some guys and yeah, go right. down. You know, he's like, "I'll bring down and I'll, I'll be down with security." He's like, "No, no, no, hang on." So what we find out is that 19 years ago he was on Dramia Two, giving some inoculations, and then this plague uh, hit right after he left that kind of wiped out everyone on this planet. And immediately, Kirk is uh, argumentative. His trial will tell, Captain. Trial? You mean kangaroo court? I've heard about Draymond Justice. He's very emotional. I think he's totally out of character for Kirk. And, 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 you're, and you know what? Wolf in the Fold is a perfectly good example of him knowing Scotty's innocent, wanting to free him, but also having to follow the rules of, lo- of the local customs and being polite with the guy who is accusing him. You know, well, for for the most part, absolutely yes. He's, I mean, you know, he has that conversation with Spock when Spock is on the Enterprise, and he says, "I don't like it any more than you do." But as long as we're here, we have to go along with the customs. But but in the very beginning, when all all this story is is developing and unfolding with Scotty, you see that Kirk does lose his uh, his patience 
and becomes very emotional when he's telling, uh, uh, and he's saying, well, don't, don't uh, uh, well, just get on with the man. Don't just stand there. And, and the prefect says, uh, you're behaving someone who is, will do anything to, to save his crewmen. Would you do that for Argelius? So, so he does get a little uh, emotional in Wolf in the Fold, uh, you know, but he has to like put himself back in check. So, so the fact that he's emotional here as well is another reason why I thought of uh, Wolf in the Fold. Sure, sure. It makes sense. Um, and I like McCoy's response. He's because because Kirk goes bones harming other beings. You know better, Spock. I know better, not bones. I wish I could be assured, Jim. I I just don't know. Is it possible that I really did? He doesn't know. Right. And neither does Scotty. I can't remember. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, that's well. And, and the thing is, I think bones is right. It's like he he he's a scientist. A thing happened. It's possible he made a mistake. It's possible he didn't understand something about their physiology. And I like the scientist part of McCoy going, no, we have to find out if it's possible this is true. You know, the termination of your inoculation program and the subsequent outbreak of plague could have been coincidence, doctor, or a tragic mistake on my part. Um, I do like, again, we have another cool design of a prison that there's sort of a cone that he's in that lights up and turns off. Similar to uh, what's the episode where it's Okora, Sulu, and Spock, and they're in the the jailer cone or whatever. It's similar to that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, yep. Wait, what um, episode was that? <laughs> Hang on a minute. Yeah, now both of us can't remember the episode. This this right here, by the way, is the perfect sign of the difference between the animated series and the original series. There's <laughs> yeah. no episode of the original series that you and I can't name. You know? <laughs> totally. <laughs> so uh, we decide, hey, we gotta we gotta investigate this on our own, which totally makes sense. I like that that Spock his investigation method brings up a big screen that says plague on Dramia Two. Plague. Dramia 2, of unknown origin, characterized by pigmentation changes in skin of victim, debilitation, death. But Vulcans are known to have a natural immunity. And I'm like, if it's totally unknown disease, how do you know that Vulcans have an immunity? It just there's so many things that just don't make sense in this. And, and, and Spock says that, you know, Vulcans have an immunity. And you just know that that is going to uh, matter. Of course. In just a few minutes. <laughs> I mean, you could just have Spock not get sick and then go, oh, I guess Vulcans have an immunity. You don't have to right. say it in advance in this case. <laughs> um, and then there's just, you know, again, these are just little nitpicks that bug me where he's telling him this and Kirk says, go on, Mr. Spock. And then we cut away. And it's like, why have a character say go on <laughs> when the guy said away? It just doesn't. It's just dumb. Back on Dramia, we they know that uh, that the Enterprise is going to head off to investigate, so they send a patrol ship to follow them. They send a patrol ship which has one Dramian on it. Yeah, you know, you've got it, the Enterprise, which has four hundred twenty-eight people, and you're going to send a patrol ship which has one Dramian on it. Okay, <laughs> um, which they detect, and then again, these are just things that don't make a lot of sense. Uhura says, "You know, do you want to make contact?" Chris says, "Yes," and then says, "Belay that." What if he attacks, sir? Why should he? We haven't contacted him, so we must not have detected him. He'd have to explain an attack. So the logic, if I understand it correctly, is because we didn't call him when we saw him. He will assume that we didn't see him, and then he will have no reason to attack us. It's like, why would he attack you in the first place? I like that Kirk is being uh, thorough and resourceful um, and try to outsmart the Dramian ship, but there's, there's nothing subtle about it. Oh, what? Let's just, it's not even that the hangar doors were left open. We're going to 
open them to just let this uh, this scout ship in. There's nothing subtle about it, and even the the dumbest uh, Dramian would be like, oh, "They're on to me," you know. I mean, at the well, on, is- on to what? Like, I mean, it's just all so bizarre. And then he gets on, he gets on the ship and he pulls his weapon, like he's going to attack him. And they're like, they go, first of all, you can't take us on. There's like a you know 400 guys here. We have that. Right. That's going to stop you." And then they're going to, you know, and he goes, oh, well, you know, I want you to report this to the Federation. They go, we can't. We're out of range, which we set up. And then they say, well, you're, you know, you're a stowaway. And he goes, I've been tricked. And I'm like, I don't I don't really understand anything that just happened. <laughs> I know. I, I don't get it either. Uh, this was a, a very, very weak and obvious plot point that that, uh, you know, just jumps right at you and you just go, wait a minute. Come on. It's such it's so contrived and doesn't work. I guess the idea is that for some reason in the Dramian rules and culture that Kirk is not allowed to do any investigation on his own. Is that sort of the deal? And that's what they're resisting against? I guess so. I, I mean, I, I that that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, and so they're trying to create all this tension around a thing that I don't think – it's like Kirk said, it, it, again, to use Wolf in the Fold, in Wolf in the Fold, they give – plenty of room for Kirk to come up with a defense and to investigate you right. know you could have been doing the same here like hey look we understand your customs we understand that you have reasons to arrest McCoy can we do some investigation on their own and they go all right we'll let you do it but you have to take Demos with you, you right know? there you go sure that, that and then we're in the same place without mm-hmm. all this weird stuff right okay but that is in fact the end of act one it kind of it ends act one with a little bit of a whimper <laughs> and we're back in Act Two, he- getting to the Dramia Two, and we go through this aurora, which has all these colors. Radiation level, Mr. Sulu? Intense, Captain. Decidedly non-lethal, however. And Kirk goes, "Good, so it's safe to be down to Dramia Two. Let's go." And I'm like, "Okay, you're in intense radiation that's non-lethal, I, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me." And then you're going to beam down to the planet where there was a plague with like no precautions at all. Absolutely agree. Uh, this is another, you know, leap in logic, so to speak, and I think just a- another plot point that suffers from the truncated running time of an animated episode. Uh, certain things you kind of go with. I mean, certainly the thing with the leaving the bay doors open just like is so obviously stupid. Um, but this is another one. Like, where are the precautions? I mean, absolutely, especially when you're talking about uh, going through. Uh, an area where everyone died of a plague. I mean, didn't you yeah. learn your lesson from like Miri and the Naked Time? I mean, come on. Yeah, no, this it seems like you should, t- you know, and with Miri and the Naked Time, you didn't know there was a plague. <laughs> Here you actually know ahead of time there was a plague. Yep. Uh, so we beam down and the first thing Kirk says, which is really just a an asshole thing to say, is he says, not the most enchanting place I've ever been to. And I'm like, dude, there was a plague here where right. everyone died. And and uh, the Dramian says a plague seldom leave behind fields of flowers, Captain. Like, you idiot. <laughs> I mean, oh. come on. How how rude can you be to make yeah, a statement yeah. like that? And then what we see is we see someone in the shadows. So there's survivors here or something, and they're kind of running away. And they chase after this person, and he disappears into a cave. And the, the music is killing me still. Yep, I know. I get it. <laughs> um, it's almost time. You're almost there, buddy. Hang I know, man. Four episodes. Well, what's, what's so hard about it, particularly the is that that's the whole thing. 
and they just repeat that piece. I mean, it's they repeat it like fifty times in a row. Yeah, they do, they do. But I gotta say that one one of the areas this episode actually is strong is the pacing. And as the episode progresses, you know, you go from being like, oh, we've got to, uh, uh, you know, clear McCoy's name, and then you, you know, just with all the backstory and all the information you're uncovering about the plague that infected the planet. Uh, but then, as we will see as the episode continues, that the stakes are increasing, and so is a race against time. And that is where yeah. where Star Trek has always worked really, really well when you increase the stakes while. Uh, while making it a, a true race against time. And that's where the episode actually does work. So they go into this cave, they get attacked by one of the survivors. And what we find out is that basically these guys were off planet and they came back to the planet after the plague was over. And then they've just, and all their family has died and they've just been living here, you know, in, in, in suffering to honor the dead, I guess, is sort yeah, of what's going on. Sort of makes sense, yeah. You see, Captain, there were no actual survivors. You are wrong. There was a survivor. And there we meet Coltai. Coltai, of course, voiced by James Stewart. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then they ask him about McCoy. And he says, oh, the Earth Doctor? He saved my life. He treated me for Saurian virus. A man who saves does not also kill, Commander. So... I, what's hard is like there's no evidence of why they think McCoy is responsible for the plague, and this isn't particularly good evidence that he's not responsible for the plague. You know what I mean? Right, right, yeah. So, but actually, that's uh, that's good for the story in terms of he's not you know 100% exonerated yet. You know, they still have to figure out you know how to how to clear him, and McCoy himself is even like I don't know. You know, that's why he's like he's he's fine with being tried. But but they treat it as if they have the witness that's going to prove McCoy's innocence. That's how they treat this whole thing. Um, right. That's right. And I don't see that this is – I mean, nobody said that McCoy isn't a doctor who saved people's lives. You know, that's – he is, you know. So, so, so I see what you're saying. So just because he saved this one person's life doesn't mean that he's not also responsible for the plague. Well, because we never hear why they think he's responsible for the plague. You know what right. I mean? Right. Uh, did, they, did they collect any evidence? And what? And if they did, why did it take them 19 years? You know, it's it's all it's all just really really thin. <laughs> um, so uh, we're heading back to Dramia One. We're going warp factor six. Spock is taking care of this uh, of Coltai because he's their big witness. Let's hope the trial hasn't started, Captain. Yes, Mister Spock. What is it? The trial may be academic. Academic? Yes, Captain. Coltai is turning blue he's infected and yep. if he's infected and then everyone on this ship is infected and they they've got a quarantine in place you know i mean this is a an episode you know i remember when we covered miri uh right. you know, when we first started doing this i i just remember how how much it it gained more uh urgency and relevancy because you know what we had just been through uh, obviously, we all know what that is, and this is another one where every time I hear disease or quarantine, it, it's like the, this this uh, post traumatic stress syndrome disorder of uh, of thinking back to just the pandemic. And and we say, okay, we're going to set up an immediate quarantine, except they don't really quarantine from him. You see, Commander, we do place a value on life, all life. Does that shock you, Commander? It is not that. It is, Captain. You're blue. 
And we see that Kirk has turned blue. Everyone on the bridge has turned blue, except Spock. Uh, Demos has turned blue, and he goes down, and Kirk is collapsing, and with his last bit of energy says, Mr. Spock, take command. Yeah, so I think that's a pretty vital end of an act, you know, totally. that everyone on the Enterprise is infected. Spock is the only take command. You know, Kirk's last command before he faints is take command. I think that's a, this is where the episode works. And it's act three. Sulu is still at the helm and very groggily, <laughs> you know, explains that that we're going to basically, if all of them die, they're going to blow up the ship to protect people from the disease. General Order 6, the ship will self-destruct in 24 hours if everyone dies. Uh, I think this is the first time we're hearing General Order 6. You know, we've heard General Order, you know, 20, 24 or 21, whatever it was mm-hmm. in, uh, in A Taste of Armageddon. And then Talos 4, you know, stay away from Talos 4. But this is a, this is a new one. And Kirk, uh, you know, still somewhat awake basically says, we got to get McCoy, which makes sense. He's the doctor. He's the one who's going to, you know, save us from the plague. And they call down to the planet yeah. and uh, and saying, hey, can you give us our doctor back? And they're like, so you say you got a witness that he's innocent, but he's sick. And you say Demos witnessed this too, and that he can testify for the doctor, but he can't talk because he's sick. And now you're asking to just take the guy away. Yeah, we, we don't believe you, uh, which I like. <laughs> got to get McCoy. If you'll permit me, Captain, I might be able to get McCoy. At which point, Kirk turns green, which is the next stage of the disease. I can't infect the planet, Captain, and I can get McCoy. I'm like, how do you know that you can't affect the planet? Right. He might be. A, he might. He might not be infected, but he might be a carrier. Yeah. Well, it could right. be that someone, you know, that Kirk, you know, drooled on his shoulder, and there's the disease on his shoulder. Like, there's. It's not like he's been isolating these people. Again, it's just it's just dumb. And, but, and also because in Miri, like remember when they're when they were on the, the other Earth, and uh, uh, Spock says, uh, uh, "I am a carrier, and uh, I I do want to go back to the ship." So he knew yeah. that he was in a, he's been in a situation before where he was not infected, but he was, but he knew he was a carrier. There's so much we we can pretend we know as much that will serve the story the way we want to do it, and we can pretend we don't know as much that will serve the story the way we want to do it. Instead of really thinking through what do we know and what do we not know, and therefore what should our behavior be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Kurt, uh, Spock does being down, he does free the doctor, and McCoy argues with him. You know, he's like, "No, we, I have to stand trial. I have to find out." Doctor, you will stand trial. You will find out. After you found an antidote for the plague, which is about to kill everyone aboard the Enterprise. The one thing I really do like is Spock telling McCoy. You realize, Doctor, if you go and fail to find an antidote, you too will die. I'm a doctor, Spock. A doctor. Get us beamed aboard. That's a great moment. That's a great moment. And uh, there was almost a very TOS moment when... uh, uh, you know, McCoy, you know, he knows he has to find an antidote ASAP. And McCoy says, I'm a doctor, Spock, a doctor. And I was yeah. waiting for him to go, I'm a doctor, not a, you know, moon shuttle conductor or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, I felt like that was something that if Dorothy Fontana was still a part of the show, she would have totally put that in because it, like the door was open for him to, you know, f- have a call back to uh, one of his, uh, one of his great moments. Uh, that that has become iconic with the original Star right. Trek, and it almost went there close enough, I guess. 
Um, so he beams up. There is no information uh, in the computer system that recognizes this disease. And McCoy's having trouble with his equipment. My readings keep shifting. Must be the activity of that blasted Aurora. Bones. That's it. Aurora. Changing. Color. Jim. And this is the thing that I know you love, that I love too, of them figuring out a problem together. They are definitely doing that. I don't think what any of this makes sense, but they are doing it. Um, Because he tells Spock, feed in the data without meeting the color change symptoms. And... And Spock does it and finds the disease, which still doesn't really make sense to me. Like, <laughs> I'm with you all the way on this. I love the moment when Kirk is like, Bones, that's it. Like when they work through a problem together, that's one of the signature moments of, of the original show that I've always, always loved. But everything that happens after that moment in this episode just doesn't make sense at all. It the the I'm just trying, I was watching going like, wait, what? How does this work? How does that work? It didn't satisfy me, their their uh, solution to all this. Well, because what caused the disease? Did the aurora cause the disease? Right. Because if the aurora did cause the disease, then there is no other disease that is like this disease that doesn't have the colors. Do you know what I mean? I agree completely. Yes, I, I agree. You know, yeah. um, and, you know, they introduced the aurora for a reason. Um, and then, okay, yeah, so the aurora is... is the catalyst for the disease, but it, it's just still doesn't make a much sense, you know, trying to, to make sense of it, you know, trying to do retcon in my head about it. And it's just like, you know, I always like look for a reason to make things work and I couldn't do it with this one. Well, and then they, they go like the disease that they discovered that isn't the disease that has all the colors, but has the other systems has no known cure. And it's like, okay. <laughs> Like, how is this all making sense? Uh, and then what we hear is that, oh, but you treated uh, Colti, the guy who survived, for Saurian virus. And they're like, oh, maybe the treatment for Saurian virus cures this disease. So they go around and they give everybody a shot. And by the way, it is an old-fashioned injection. It is not a hypo. Oh, you're right. That's right. Uh-huh. But we give everybody this shot and Kirk turns back to the right color. Everyone else does. And then we are finishing up with a log where we talk about how now they've gotten, a, they're actually, instead of trying McCoy, they have a ceremony honoring him. We of Dramia wish to thank you, Doctor, for your discovery of the antidote which frees us from future attacks of the auroral plague. They're going to forget about breaking McCoy out of jail. We're going to forget about the Demos stowing away on the Enterprise. We head back up and get the longest, dumbest, shot for a joke <laughs> i mean I just and it, it goes on work. it doesn't and it's just like spock is giving mccoy crap about not dispensing his vitamin rations to the crew and you know talks about hippocrates would not approve of lame excuses makes no sense and also also you know look maybe it was a blessing in disguise that the second season of the animated series only had six episodes because you know, you have nobody on the show now who really, really knows Star Trek, who's like can kind of keep it all in line. Like Rod Berry, he was not really involved with season two. Fontana had moved on to something else. She was not involved with season two. And when they first beam up and they're in the transporter room for for a quick uh, second or two, you see that McCoy is wearing a gold shirt and the braid on Scotty's arm is the braid of command. 
um, not that of a lieutenant commander. And of course, you know, I'm going to pick up stuff like that, but the obvious thing about McCoy wearing the gold shirt and it's a mistake, but you know, you didn't have anybody to really like double check and, uh, you know, uh, dot the I's and cross the T's, uh, like you did if, if you had a, a, a true Star Trek veteran overseeing everything. And that's another, another area, just like with the practical Joker more so, but even this episode, while an improvement over the practical Joker, uh, is still flawed. You, you know, it's, uh, I, I, it's always been interesting to me how people view things through their own um, area of expertise, you know, and obviously I'm really a story guy. Like that's really like character and story and plot points. That's, that's kind of how my brain works. I'm not necessarily a cinematography guy. I'm not, you know, I'm, and I'm, I was on uh, the set of the first movie that I wrote and I remember the AD, we were talking about films and he said, Oh, that was a terrible movie. Three times in that movie, I saw tape on the ground because they left the marks where the actors were supposed to stand and the camera saw it. And so for him, that's totally unacceptable. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so that ruined the movie. And it's and, and what's interesting to me is like for me, things like you just described, the gold uh shirt, all those things, that's unacceptable. You know what yeah. I mean? Someone yeah. needs to catch that. It has nothing to do with story. You could have a great story and have an error like that, but that error just it just shouldn't happen. Um, and th- and then things like this last scene with Spock and McCoy, it's like somebody told them, hey, Spock and McCoy bicker, and we often have little bickering jokes at the end of the episode. And so they wrote one, but it doesn't fit the characters. It's not exactly how they bicker, and it feels very manufactured. And it's like, it's again, I go like, that's not acceptable, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you. I am with you. I feel the same way. Uh, you know, season two of the season, I mean, it's six episodes, uh, but it just feels like, you know, they knew they weren't going to go beyond season yeah. two. I mean, it was the plan all along, which just to, to do two seasons. And, uh, you know, they were just kind of finishing to get out and filmation was busy with, with a, a great number of other projects. Star Trek was one of the cogs in a very, very big wheel. Yeah. And it wasn't until later that the show would be appreciated because there were so many other elements that it actually did feel like Star Trek and work. But as of this moment, as of now, it's like, okay, we got a couple to go. Let's let's finish this baby out and move on. After they have this bickering moment, Kirk laughs and he reaches up his hand to his face. And the animation is so terrible. It yeah. looks it looks like his arm is disconnected and it which I'm sure is what is really happening. It's just it's just someone you know, there's two different layers and someone's just slid in the arm, the hand frame by frame, and they're doing a terrible job. It just looks, it almost is disturbing how weird the hand looks coming up to his face at that moment. I, I, I agree. And, you know, so much of the animation, I just chalked it up to, well, it's filmation. That's what filmation was. But, uh, and, and other people have definitely criticized the animation of the original series as not being very good. But in this at that moment in particular, I go, yeah, that 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 doesn't look good at all. So I, I agree with that. The, the, this uh, guy who I know I mentioned before, Mike Hoover, who I did the shark documentaries with and some other stuff with, uh, he had an expression which he called coyote, which is, you know, the coyote that would chew its own leg off to get out of the trap. Yep. He says there's a certain point in every production where you're going starting to go coyote where you're just like, I just got to get out of this show, you know, and this, and you know, it's like senioritis, whatever it is, it's like, I am so sick of doing this thing. Let's just get it done and move on. And of course, what, what Hoover said is that you have to fight that because that's where you're really going to mess up the show. That's when your, you know, final moments is when you have to be your best, not your worst. Um, But yeah, I think you could, you could really see that they have gone in Hoover's words, coyote at this point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
But having said that, I, I do think that Albatross works better than its predecessor. It's a little bit I agree. of to form for animated series, you know, uh, that form being, you know, we got a couple more to go. But, uh, you know, there are moments when I felt like uh, this would have made great live action episode. There are, are, are moments where I was reminded of particularly of, of like Wolf in the Fold. But then again, there are just very, very weak plot points that uh, absolutely make no sense. But I got to say that even for a, an animated show that's airing on Saturday mornings to deal with like, you know, a virus and, uh, uh, you know, people dying. I mean, that's pretty heavy stuff uh, for a Saturday morning cartoon. So once again, I feel like while the practical Joker did speak down to its audience, uh, Albatross was a, an episode that where the audience had to kind of rise to its level, whatever that level is, but it's definitely a, a few bars above uh, practical Joker. So that is what we think of the Albatross. Oh, wait, I one more. Why is this called the Albatross? That's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a big bird that flies around near the, you know, down at the near Ant- Antarctica. And, you know, there's the expression an albatross around someone's neck, which is maybe that's what they're saying. Like this, this is an albatross around McCoy's neck. I don't understand. Uh, why that's it's called a really good point. Uh, I really don't know why it's called uh, albatross. But if anyone listening knows, like, why this episode is even called Albatross and what that has to do with the story that's happening, please let us know. Go to our Facebook page, uh, Enterprise Incidents on Facebook, and comment below uh, our, our you know reveal of this episode and let us know why you think Albatross applies to the story that we are featuring right now. And you could also reach us on Twitter at Enter Incidents, Enterprise Incidents on Instagram. You can subscribe to the show at all the usual places. And we would love both your subscription and your review on Apple Podcasts. You can do that or on Spotify. Comments on YouTube are always great. And you could support the show by going to uh, and you could support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes where you will take you to Spotify for podcasters. You can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month, as much as $9.99 a month. We definitely, definitely appreciate your support. And if you want to reach me, you can reach me at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. And we are deep in the middle of World War II on the cinephiles, having just finished two parts on The Great Escape. We're now doing at least two parts on the bridge on the River Kwai, which is an absolutely incredible film. Scott, how would people reach you? You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Movie Mance and make sure that you uh, go to our Facebook page and and follow us on Facebook. And like Steve said, you know, we really do appreciate those reviews and they help us uh, get seen if we get enough reviews. So go to our Apple podcast page and please leave a review if you have not done so. Maybe you've been meaning to do so, but you get sidetracked and now the episode's over. You're going to go on to your next uh, podcast to listen to, whatever you're doing next. But before you do so, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. And of course, like Steve mentioned, please support us. Uh, Think of it as a tip jar, and we greatly, greatly appreciate it. We now have just two episodes left to go during our deep dive of the animated series. And up next is the animated series episode that won Star Trek its Emmy for Outstanding Entertainment Children's Series, something even the original series could not do. The next episode is How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth. Until then, keep going boldly. Boldly.